I wonder if you've ever seen something and it's not quite what was actually there. Perhaps it's a, an optical illusion, a, a trick of the light, or maybe you, you're reading something and you actually misread a word in the middle and you think, oh, wait a minute, and you have to read that again to find what it actually says. Our passage today concerns seeing things rightly. And with that in mind, uh, with the overall text, at first glance, it would seem to be about the restoration of sight to a, a man that was born blind. However, more importantly, it is the account of Jesus bringing a sign of God's kingdom. But the Pharisees are missing the presence of the G, and instead of a sign, they see a sin. But we start with the disciples, who have also not seen things right, just for a change. This is because they have preconceived ideas. And they ask a rather not politically correct question, don't they? They assume the blindness of someone who was a beggar was because of that individual's sin or the sin of their parent. What was this sin? You know, is it the man or the parents? Was the baby committing sin in his mother's womb? And that's not a question about original sin, the sin of Adam being passed to all humanity through the generations, but rather thinking of an instance of a not-yet-born child committing sin. Like how we might read in Genesis 25, the twins Jacob and Esau were jostling, literally fighting each other before being born to Rebecca. Uh, was that sinful? Had this man, as a baby, sinned? Is that even possible? And the other half of the question concerns whether the parents had sinned. Although referring to both parents, this is, in the style of language and thinking of the day, maybe not so much about the dad, but more about the mum. Was the child illegitimate? Had she worshipped a false god? What had the parents done that impacted the health of the infant directly? Or maybe they'd done something that was a punishment, such that even before being born, the infant would be blind. While all our actions in life have consequences, the disciples have completely forgotten um, parts of Old Testament scripture, like the trials of Job. 
Job goes through seemingly no end of pain, but not as a punishment for sin. And likewise here, Jesus responds to his friends, making clear that this man's blindness on many people's sickness, most people's health in his understanding was not the result of sin. Not the individual sin, not the parent's sin. But it would give an opportunity for God's love to be known. A wondrous act that would reveal something of the kingdom that is coming into the world. The parents had raised this born blind infant to manhood. They had not abandoned him, but had had compassion and had shown love. Raising any child, any child is not always easy. Raising a child with a disability would have put a strain on that family, even more so in the first century. Even more so. And so there must have been great love and great hope and great faithfulness to that couple I suspect that the disciples were not the first to question whether this man had been born blind because of sin. And yet the parents had lived with that and cared for him and probably to some extent still were. The man talks showing a wit showing reasoning, showing that he'd been brought up with understanding. He has an inquiring mind. His upbringing was not to just allow him to vegetate, as could have happened, but instead his parents ensured he flourished to the fullness of his capability. that there are discussions with neighbours in this passage show that he wasn't living on the streets even if begging was the only way he could have money coming in. And the calling in of the parents to be questioned suggests that although he had come of age, which of course is 13, not 16 or 18 or 21 or anything we think of, coming of age is 13, although he was at least 13, they were still very much part of his life. How painful had it been for them that he couldn't see? And how did they now feel when they hear he can and that this miracle has happened? A thing that they don't understand, but it has come to pass. What are those emotions that start inside for them?
however old we are, we are our mother and father's children. That relationship at times may be strong or it may be broken. It might be shattered in pieces. We all have different circumstances that we've gone through. Likewise, our own children may struggle with our worldviews, our ideas. They may reject us. They may reject our God and go on paths that we would wish they did not. We might want them to make better decisions. Maybe we want them not to make the same mistakes we made. But whatever happens in their life, we are called by God to love them. We might have dreams for them that are never fulfilled, but as they journey, we love. Now, you might not have children. Maybe you're not at that stage of life. Maybe you longed for them and that never happened. Maybe you made a clear decision not to. Perhaps there is some other circumstance. You may not be a parent, but you are the neighbour. You are the neighbour. And you too are called to love. Indeed, elsewhere, Jesus teaches in a parable the importance of being a neighbour to even a stranger that had been robbed on the Jericho Road. The neighbours in the reading knew the man and they knew he was blind. They knew the mum and the dad. They probably thought they knew what they had gone through, but probably were nowhere close. They hadn't walked a few yards, let alone a mile, in the parent's sandals. And they take this man that can now see to the Pharisees probably as a, a means of celebration as much as anything. Maybe for the miracle to be recognised, like how Jesus tells ten lepers that are healed on the road to go and show themselves to the priest. Something amazing, something of God has happened. Let's take you to the godly people. They weren't expecting him to be interrogated, to be judged. But to be declared clean. Blindness itself is, is not as, uh, it, the thoughts of it are, are a bit more ambiguous than that straight, clean, unclean understanding that the lepers had. In Leviticus 19, we're told not to put stumbling blocks in the way of the blind. Yeah, it's also recognised that they're not going to be a priest. Uh, just a couple of chapters later, uh, blindness is one of the things that inhibits uh, people entering and approaching the holiest of holy places, going to the altar. And culturally, blindness was inflicted on some prisoners 
so that they were degraded and humiliated. Um, Samson, perhaps, being the prime example towards the end of his life. So they take the man that can see, and the presentation of him becomes an inquiry, uh, an inquisition. Had he really been blind? Really? From birth? What happened? Who did this? How could this be? The what was a pain to the Pharisees' ears. Saliva was believed to have healing properties, but many rabbis believed it should not be used. There were different views on it. Jesus used the saliva to mix it in with the dirt and form like clay. He kneaded it, he moulded it, he shaped it. But that's not allowed on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to knead things on the Sabbath. That's like making bread. It's work. And healing is work too. There's possibly three different things there that the Pharisees got worked up about. And they've come to the wrong conclusion. They see sin, but they completely fail to see the truth of the testimony. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. And later, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He wouldn't have been able to bring this healing if he wasn't from God. Perhaps the Pharisees are remembering the conjuring acts of the Pharaoh's magicians with the sleight of hand representing the miracles of God as Moses pleaded, let my people go. Was the man really healed? Was there a miracle? The Pharisees have mixed views and they corporately fail to see God's presence in the Son that is Jesus. Spiritually, it would seem that the formerly blind man has gained vision. And Jesus reveals himself even more. And recognition occurs. And the man goes from saying, Who is he, sir? To Lord... I believe. Lord, I believe. There's a confession there. And he worships. He worships Jesus. I wonder how often that we see things right. You know, are we like the disciples at the start of the passage? Is our reading of the world tainted by the culture and politics of our day in a way that prevents us from seeing the truth of the matter? 
you know, prevents us from seeing it as Jesus would see it, as Jesus would want us to see it. Are we like the Pharisees, where we have preconceived ideas or a fixed mind that stops us seeing what God is doing? How can we be more like the man who had been blind, but by the end of the passage is seeing and had become believing and had began to worship God? How can we be those people that do see and do speak? worship the living God. Let's pause for a moment. Lord, you you know our inmost thoughts. You see us in a different way from the world. We ask that we might see with love that we might care for others, that we might be refocused as followers of our Lord Jesus. Help us to worship him with every dynamic, every possible way throughout our life. Lord, he, he came into the darkness of this world to bring light in the darkest of places. Even when we journey through the valley that is dark, you are there with us. So shine your light and open our eyes and help us be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.